Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. And he said, well, we can actually sell hand cut steaks cheaper than grocery stores. So let's do a farmer's market and sell hand cut steaks. And Genius. It, yeah, I, I know. And this came from one of his stores in North Carolina. He said, what would you think? And he goes, huh, I wonder what the legal thing is of this. And Kent said, look, we're not here just to stay in business. We're here to feed America again. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be joined by the amazing Chester Elton today. You are going to learn about how to navigate tremendous uncertainty with the people around you, how to give them hope through a vision and execute on a strategy that is in alignment with the values that you have, that they have. You're going to help people really get through some challenging mental health epidemics and, you know, really get to where you want to go because ultimately real estate is a team sport. And we've got to recognize that we're all human beings. And by the way, we're not human doings. So it's all about, well, who are we and what are the challenges that we're going through and recognize that there are so many patterns between the challenges that other people who are supporting what you're doing, other people who you're working with, you're helping, you know, they're going through their own challenges as well. So getting more clear on what those challenges are and helping them work through tremendous anxiety that could be holding them back or could, you know, propel them towards no longer supporting you. So today's episode is all about helping you learn how to lead others through anxiety as a model towards greater success. So I think you're going to find tremendous value from today's episode. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time to raise the bar today. And I'm telling you, today's podcast is so special. We are with an individual who has transformed the lives of thousands upon thousands of people throughout, you know, really the world. And, you know, not only a, an individual who has, you know, written tremendous number one New York Times selling, uh, new, number one New York Times best-selling books, but also has led some of the world's most prolific leaders, 
across the business space. And you're going to find that, you know, he is investing in people. He is giving people the opportunity to be the best version of themselves. And, you know, it's about fixing that foundation to get to a point where we can continue to grow. And, you know, there's really no fixing. None of us need to be fixed, right? None of us are broken, but there are opportunities for us to enhance the way that we interact with ourselves. And I think you're going to find that in today's episode tremendously. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited to share this episode with you. Before I dive in and introduce you to Chester Elton, I want to invite you to pay it forward and share this episode with one friend. All you have to do is grab that share button in whatever podcast platform app that you're utilizing and share this episode with one person. That's the fee for listening today. So I just want to thank you for doing that. If it's your first time listening to Elevate. Welcome to this family. Welcome to this movement. You're a part of Elevate Nation now. I just want to thank you for being here. And I want to let you know that we are going to pour into your cup today. We are going to invest in you. And um, also want to give you an opportunity to rate, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast. It's very important to us. And also you will be notified of future opportunities to be invested in by this tremendous movement. So with all that said, I want to introduce you to the number one best-selling business author, organizational culture, employee engagement, teamwork, and mental wellness expert, who is Chester Elton. He has spent two decades helping some of the world's most successful businesses build great workplace cultures and engage their employees to execute on strategy, vision, and values. He has been called the Apostle of Appreciation by Canada's Globe and Mail, creative and refreshing by the New York Times, and a must-read for modern managers by CNN. Elton is co-author of multiple award-winning New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal best-selling leadership books, including All In, The Carrot Principle, The Best Team Wins, and Anxiety at Work. His books have been translated in more than 30 languages and have been sold more than 1.5 million copies worldwide. Elton is often quoted in publications such as the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Fast Company, and the New York Times. He has appeared on NBC's Today, CNN, ABC, MSNBC, National Public Radio, and CBS's 60 Minutes. So now you know we're speaking to somebody who is um, obviously highly regarded in so many aspects. And, you know, you're going to find out that he's he's an amazing individual. So please buckle up and enjoy this great conversation with Chester Elton. Chester Elton, what a pleasure to be with you. How are you doing today? You know, Tyler, I always say what my father used to say to me, and he'd say, you know, if it got any better, it wouldn't be fair. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And and uh, the other quote that you shared about from your father prior to us recording is that if you had two choices to be either rich or poor, you probably want to choose to be rich. So I thought that was cool <laughs> that you're you're sharing deep wisdom from your father as we, you know, come out of the gates here. Yeah, well, you know, I'm one of those really lucky guys that grew up in a ridiculously happy household. You know, I grew up in Canada. I was born in Edmonton and grew up in Vancouver. And my dad was in broadcasting and my my mother was um, a fashion model well, back in the day when you'd go to the department store and they'd come up and down the ramps and 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 so on. And so they were two very, very positive people. And I was uh, lucky that, um, you know, that was my upbringing. And so when you talk about, you know, the work that my co-author Adrian Gosick and I have done in, in leadership and, and gratitude, uh, I'm probably more grateful than anything to have had two amazingly positive uh, parents that were happily married and madly in love for 65 years, you know? Um, so, you know, it's interesting the the path our lives take. 
and the people that are around us that have such a huge impact. You know, you say, I, I'm delighted you shared the wisdom of your father. There's not a day goes by I don't think about my dad. And he's passed, you know, well over a decade ago, as well as, as my mother. So a little bit of my backstory. And um, I always figured that that's the best way to pay it forward. You know, my dad gave me a lot of joy and happiness. And, you know, my job is to make sure that that ripples through the people that I come in contact with as well. Well, you know, it really does ooze from you because, um, you know, the first thing, you know, you can feel someone's energy immediately upon meeting them. And the energy that you bring is joy. It's fun. It's gratitude. And a lot of the stuff that you've really shared over the years has been for leaders to exhibit these qualities more so. And it's interesting to hear about your backstory from that perspective, because, you know, you're paying it forward and not everybody had that type of upbringing. You know, a lot of people exactly. have traumatic types of upbringing. And so, People like you sharing this type of wisdom is it's such an important thing in terms of paying it forward. And, you know, a lot of people are living with, you know, tremendous challenges and maybe some trauma that they're still trying to resolve or they're, you know, maybe they're unconscious about. So I just want to honor you for the work that you've been doing for so many years as a result. Well, thanks. You know, I have four older brothers. I'm the youngest of five which explains a lot about me if you get to know me a little better, you know, the youngest child syndrome, uh, because I was by far the favorite child and the most loved. I'll, I'll leave that for another time. Um, my oldest brother, Tanner, was so interesting. Uh, we were having conversations. We get together as often as we can. And he said, you know, when you grow up in a happy household, you think everybody grew up in a happy household. Right. And he said, I was shocked to find out that I had, you know, good friends that hadn't talked to a brother in 10 years whose parents were, were uh, you know, really acrimonious as uh, divorces and so on. So it really is interesting that you do tend to see the world through your lenses. And you're right. You come across people and you say, gosh, um, let me let me share with you a little bit about some of the things that my family did that really helped to create that positive lifestyle, that positive outlook on life and, and one of, of service and gratitude. You know, one of the um, books that I read not too long ago that had a huge impact on me uh, is Jay Shetty's book, uh, Think Like a Monk. Mm -hmm. which was a huge bestseller. And, um, you know, I've often thought, why, you know, what, how, how do you think like, a, like, what does that mean? <laughs> think like a monk. Right. And uh, one of the exercises in the book that had a profound impact on me was that monks have a mantra. And then when they get up in the morning and when they're having, you know, whatever difficult time during the day, they revert back to that mantra. And so I took it quite seriously. And, and over a period of a couple of weeks, developed my own mantra that I think was reflective of, you know, my upbringing, my, my spiritual traditions and so on, as well as the work that Adrian Gostick, my wonderful co-author and dear friend, do in leadership. And it was very simple. And I'd love to share it with you. And it, it, it goes like this. Uh, when you wake up, to be kind. You know, I think the world just needs more kindness. And secondly, to be grateful. You know, no matter how bad it gets, you know, you and I don't have to worry about any of the basics, right? We don't have to worry about clean water, or if we're going to eat today, and on and on and on, right? And then the third one is very much from my my father and my spiritual upbringing, and that is to be of service. And I think if, you know, if your default is, I'm going to be kind. Uh, secondly, I'm going to be grateful, no matter what the circumstance. And thirdly, I'm going to look for ways to be of service. Uh, you set yourself up for a pretty good day. Now, I know in your business in real estate, I mean, you know, you've got people that may be desperately looking for a home or a place to live or whatever. And the kindness that you show them goes a long way in, you know, tamping down their anxieties. You know, uh, the, the gratitude that you have, that you have a customer, 
you know, that you can, and that you can be of service and change somebody's life by getting them the house that they want, the safety that they need for their families and so on. So as I was thinking about our conversation in your background, I thought that mantra works perfectly for you. It really does. And, you know, what we're talking about, in in my opinion, is swimming upstream, because if people want to elevate their performance, you know, the, the I think the default mechanism or the default thought for people who are not really on that wavelength of swimming upstream or, or going upstream, they're thinking about how can I work harder and how can I, you know, be more ruthless and more competitive <laughs> so that I can, you know, really, really separate myself from the competition. But what you're talking about in terms of be kind, be grateful, be of service to me, this spills over in so many different aspects. And that's why I've been so excited about our conversation today. And, you know, let's let's really dive into it because I think today and in, in today's world, you know, 2023, we're living in a time of high anxiety. And yeah. in particular, in the real estate investment space, we're going through a, you know, a market correction, uh, you know, a change of the of the tide, so to speak, the tide has, has really changed in a big, big direction. I mean, interest rates have changed dramatically, and obviously valuations and cash flow has really, really been impacted. So investors, in many aspects are feeling very anxious. And, you know, in other aspects, I would say that, in addition to that, we're living in a world where we've got mental health, we've got a mental health crisis. And that's not directly re related to real estate, but for real estate investors, it's that compounded with some of the challenges that we see in the economic environment. We've also got a tremendous amount of uncertainty. We've got rapid tech advancement. I mean, artificial intelligence has come out of nowhere to really become, you know, almost a huge dominant force in all industries. And so all of these components have resulted in a time of very high anxiety. So that's why I love what you do. And the other thing I shared with you prior to uh, starting the recording was that, you know, a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are really the conductors of an orchestra and right. to be able to go where you want to go and do big things and use this beautiful vehicle of real estate to create outcomes in your life, you've got to be able to conduct the orchestra well. And sometimes it comes with other people who are feeling very anxious and you know they're going through this tremendous overwhelm that we're talking about so why don't we start with talking about you know maybe the causes that you've seen in terms of workplace stress and, and maybe some of the things that i just described or some of the causes but there's some other patterns that you've observed over the years that are causes maybe we can then talk about some prescriptions thereafter but why don't we start with some causes that you found to really have generated you know workplace anxiety and stress yeah, actually, thanks. Great question. You know, it's interesting. We we wrote our latest book uh, called Anxiety at Work, which is exactly what we're talking about during the pandemic. And it, it was it was actually, I think, during the pandemic, there were more business books written, more books written than in the history of the world because everybody was <laughs> locked down. And you know, I know don't have time to write. Well, then you had two years to write, right? So it was really interesting. We had just launched our book leading with gratitude and two weeks later the pandemic hit which you know crushed everything and if you're if you're going to launch a book uh try to time it uh, well before a, a global pandemic um <laughs> and so we had this time and our publisher came to us and said have you have you been thinking about anything well the book uh we have a third author on the book which we've never had before it's always been gostick and elton this one is gostick and elton and gostick this background i think is important because it's it's anthony gostick which is my co-author's son uh adrian gostick's son and he approached us and said you know you guys talk about leadership you talk about culture you talk about teams do you ever talk about mental health 
Well, Adrian and I are both the end of the baby boomers, right? And our generation was, yeah, no, we're not talking about that. What are you nuts? You know, rub some dirt on it. Yeah, toughen up, people. Yeah, suck it up. Turn that frown upside down. (laughs) Um, And he said, see, this is the problem is you guys are still in charge, you know, for the most part. And you never talk about it because it's a sign of weakness. He said, my generation, now he's the classic millennial, super, super smart kid, you know, into all the tech. He's getting like you know, advanced degrees in microbiology and DNA, whatever. We can't even pronounce the classes he's taking. <laughs> and and uh, he said, my generation, we start every conversation with how are you doing? And what we mean by that is, how are you managing your mental health? So we said, well, that's really interesting. So we took a deep dive on that. And it, the generational difference, I think, is really important for your listeners, because if you've been in real estate a long time, you know, you're a 30 year veteran or whatever, you kind of feel like, hey, I've seen these cycles before. It's going to be OK. You know, you're you're eager to jump to the solution that your younger salespeople may have for you. When, in fact, what they want you to do is show a little compassion, show a little empathy and listen. So let me give you some numbers, because, you know, in real estate, I know you live and die by the numbers, right? <laughs> Is um, pre-pandemic, about 18% of employees said they suffered from some kind of anxiety disorder. Now, everybody has a little bit of anxiety. I mean, I had a little bit of anxiety before a podcast because you want it to go well and you want to be prepared, right? <laughs> that can be a, be a good thing. Um, an anxiety disorder is it's so overwhelming, it's so persistent, I can't get my work done, right? So say one in five, 18%. Pandemic hits, that jumps to 30%. That's a big jump. Now, that's everybody. Now, you look at, you know, employees in their 20s, and you could even say early 30s, it's 42%. So, Tyler, you're, you're, you're getting close to half of your young, smart, engaged future leaders that have some kind of anxiety disorder. Now, you say, look, I find good people and I want to keep them. The turnover numbers are amazing as well. You know, um, it's interesting that 50% of millennials and 75% of Gen Z say they have left the job because of uh, mental health issues, anxiety. And you ask why? And this is the number that is shocking to me, is 90% of employees will not talk to their supervisors about mental health because it's not safe, because I'll be labeled as weak, can't take the pressure, whatever it is. So, you know, when you talk about what are the causes of this, circling back to your original question, but I wanted you to have that foundation. The number one cause of anxiety is uncertainty. And you mentioned it. We live in very uncertain times. So let me ask you, Tyler, uh, you're in uncertain times. You're a real estate uh, guru. How do you tamp down anxiety around uncertainty with your team? How would you do that? What would be some of your tactics? Hmm. Well, I'm taking a lot of notes here, by the way. So I just wanted to mention that. I mean, first of all, great stuff. And in terms of the question, um, how do you, so re- repeat the question for me just so I can really think through it. Sure. So anxiety, number one cause of, of anxiety and mm-hmm. you know, m- mental health trauma and so on. Is uncertainty, so, right? Right, uncertainty. So how do you as a leader then mitigate that? How do you help your people get through uncertain times? What would be some of the things that you might put on your daily list, for example? Well, I think um, in many aspects, you know, history generally rhymes. 
And so looking back for, you know, studying history to say, well, when have we encountered similar uncertainty and what did play out, you know, in real estate is a, is a big thing to really be able to help lead and help gain some context based on where we are and market cycles are, you know, generally a function of the market, right? It's what, what goes up comes down in, in some aspects. And, you know, you see that the, the cycle keeps moving through history. So that could be one thing, but it feels like, you know, the other piece is generally we have no certainty of what the future is going to be, but you have a vision for what you're going to create. So perhaps it's sharing that vision and continuing to, you know, place your focus on, hey, where we're going. It's, you know, maybe those those uh, those factors, but tell me where I'm wrong, because I'm feeling <laughs> like perhaps I'm significantly wrong. You're, you're not wrong at all. Uh, education, you know, you're saying, hey, look, these are the cycles. You know, it's it's um, in investing, you know, it's it's not so much timing the market, it's time in the market, right? Absolutely. Say, look, we've been around for a while. We've kind of seen this. We've got some assets. We can weather the storm. So the idea of communicating and educating in times of uncertainty, you can't over communicate. You know, uh, we have a, a wonderful case study of a, a restaurant group that we've uh you know, worked with for for years now, and maybe you've been to a Texas Roadhouse restaurant. Yeah, fabulous. I tell you what. So Chester, I used to work for Texas Roadhouse Corporate prior to getting into real estate. So I know that you've done some work oh. with the organization. Absolutely. Did, did, by the way, just as an aside, did you get Made from Scratch the the book from Kent Taylor? I think that was. Uh, I have not. I have not picked that up. And God rest Kent Taylor's soul because he was one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our lifetime. I've not picked it up, but uh, I've heard great things. Well, just a little um, little trivia for you, Adrian Gostick, my co-author tonight. We we wrote that book for Kent. Did you really? Oh, how we cool really that? did. It was one of the coolest uh, coolest projects we ever had. And the reason I, I bring it up is because when we started the project pre-pandemic, and when the pandemic hit, it made the book so much better because you know the culture at Texas Roadhouse. It's roadies first, which is what they call their employees. Mm -hmm. And so Kent immediately jumped in and said, we're not laying anybody off. We're going to figure this thing out. And they had meetings every morning with their top people in every region, literally every morning. What do you see that's working? What's not working? How are the roadies doing? How can we be more supportive? You know, he took out all the loans he could immediately and put another $5 million of his own money in to pay Rhodey's salaries. So the first thing he did was he said, listen, I'm going to take away the uncertainty of your income. You're going to get paid. Even if you don't feel comfortable coming to work, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. Now, that everybody could take a deep breath after that, right? I'm going to be able to pay my rent. I'm going to be able to pay my mortgage. And then he said, okay, look. Um, I'm pretty smart. I've got some great ideas. Um, by myself, I can be pretty smart. Collectively, we can be geniuses. So tell me what your ideas are. You're on the ground. And they came up with some of the most innovative ideas. You know, uh, as you know, Texas Rodas was all about the in-restaurant experience, the line dancing, the music, the, you know, the cold beer and all that. Well, it, it can't actually hate it takeaway because he says you can't put a party in a bag. Right. Well, well, now he's got to go to 100% takeaway. So again, this idea of we're, we're in this together. I'm in this with you, communicating every day, tamping down. What's your biggest uncertainty? It's my income. Don't worry about it. Taking care of. I mean, it was beyond brilliant. So, you know, as you're going through these, these cycles, never underestimate the ability to just give your people as many facts as you can. Now, what they personally want to know 
is the answer to four questions. And if you're going to write something down, write this down. <laughs> number, number one, and you mentioned it. One is, I want to know, how are we doing? Good, bad, or indifferent, I want to know, how's the company doing? Well, you know what? We've got great resources. We've got reserves and blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of restaurants went out of business. Texas Roadhouse, you're going to love this. Texas Roadhouse, their stock went from like $80 to $18 overnight, as most restaurants did. Within four weeks, they were break even. And in six weeks, when the shutdown for restaurants, they were profitable. And within a couple of months, their stock didn't go back to 80. It went up to 100. So that's the power of how are we doing, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly is, and you mentioned it, where are we going? So how are we going to deal with this crisis? Okay, we're going to double down on uh, low-priced rentals. We're going to double down on multifamily uh, sales, whatever. We're, gonna, we're actually going to get into uh, business real estate. You know, people are coming back to work and we think there's an opportunity there. So how are we doing? Where are we going? And then to the individual is, I want to know how am I doing? How do I fit? Hey, you know what? What I really appreciate uh, you know, about what you're doing, Tyler, is you show up every day. And nothing happens till somebody shows up. So, you know, that we value more than anything. And you're doing that great, right? And then the last question, again, is what's my future look like? You know, I love leaders that ask their employees, where are you going to be? Where do you want to be three to five years from now? And actually with with millennials, it's where do you want to be three to five weeks from now? (laughs) You know, know, and and, and if I know the answer to those four questions, that the company is doing okay, or doing great, or we're struggling. I, I need to know. Secondly, where are we going? Here's our strategy, right? Like the Kent Taylor, all of a sudden, we're going to do everything in the parking lot. You know, uh, service with a heart six feet apart was one of their mantras. And then you're doing well. Here's here's more of what we expect of you. And you know what? If you want to be here two to three years from now, I'm going to help you get there. Boy, that tamps down all kind of uncertainty, gets me engaged, gets me feeling really good about what I'm doing. Let's go sell some real estate. Does that, so, does that make sense? It's so good. And thank you so much for sharing that particular example so that we can use it as a reference point for how we're operating through uncertainty. Because, you know, the only the only constant is change. And in many aspects, change brings a level of uncertainty. But one of the big takeaways that I have from that in using the example of Kent Taylor, who is a great, great leader and obviously showed it's showing continuously in the legacy that he's left in terms of the, the success of the organization continually as it continues to grow. One of the big takeaways that I found in that was that it really all started with asking and engaging. It wasn't like he was this all-knowing being and that he had the vision and that everything he touched was gold. And while, you know, many he had many different successful uh, ventures that he was able to, to put forth, but it came through in terms of how he was asking those questions about, hey guys, what what is working? What's not working? How can we pivot? How can we make adjustments to make it through this period? But it felt like it was it was achieving that buy-in and gaining the creativity and the clarity from the people that were on the ground to be able to prescribe and put in some, hey, here's here's where we're going now. Like that that one particular part of the the four you know questions that uh, you know folks want to know the answers to. Yeah, his genius was is he would make every leader in the organization do every job at the restaurant, and you'll remember <laughs> mm-hmm. this. I mean, Kent Taylor could go into a restaurant 
And not only did he know how to do the dishes and run the dishwasher, he could repair the dishwasher, right? And and on and on. One of my favorite stories that he shared with us is he brought in these consultants to maybe reconfigure the kitchen to make it more efficient. And so he said, well, let, let's go back. Let's go to a, a one of our stores and let's go into the kitchen and tell me exactly where, where would you put this and this and this and this and this. And he said, by the way, I, I want our, our, our cooks and our chefs and everybody to, to be in on the conversation. And the consultants came through and said, yeah, if you move this here and here and here and here, make it more efficient. And, you know, and so Ken said, okay. And then he turned to his cooks and said, does that make sense to you? And the one guy says, well, not for nothing, Kent, but if you put the fryer there and you do the thing, you're going to bump into each other. Actually, that's a recipe for, you know, third degree burns, <laughs> whatever the story was. <laughs> and he looked at him and he said, yeah, you're right. He said, you know what? We're not making any changes. So here were the, you know, these highly paid, you know, restaurant consultants with this grand plan. And to the point was this, but if it's going to throw my people on the ground off, it's not worth it. You know, he, and he was great about, look, not everything works. And that's okay. You know, seriously, we're, we're going to do some stuff. Uh, the other story, uh, sorry, we're on a Texas Roadhouse station. But by the way, if you've never been to a Texas Roadhouse, go. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's more fun than you should be allowed. Um, you know, he, he talks about, he says, well, what are some ideas? And this one guy said, look, um, steaks, you may not remember this, but early on in the pandemic, meat prices skyrocketed because they shut down a lot of packing plants, yeah. right? And so he said, you know, one of the things he did is he bought up as much meat as he possibly could. And he said, well, we can actually sell hand cut steaks cheaper than grocery stores. So let's do a farmer's market and sell hand cut steaks. And Genius. That, yeah, I, I know. And this came from one of his stores in North Carolina. He said, what would you think? And he goes, huh, I wonder what the legal thing is of this. And Kent said, look, we're not here just to stay in business. We're here to feed America again. Paint the big vision. Mm. You know, yeah, we want to stay in business. Yeah, we want to keep our, our restaurants open. We want to keep people employed. And we're going to do that by feeding America. So they had these 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 farmers markets. They had lines of cars uh, where people would wait in line in their car for two hours. It would back up on the highway. And they would ask people, why are you waiting two hours to buy steaks? And they'd say, locked in my car, locked in my house. What's the difference, right? <laughs> um, and, and the idea that, he was focused on service. And this is another great thing for your leaders to focus on. It's not just what's good for my business. What's good for my community? What's good for my, my, my people? You know, uh, another guy came up with an idea of family packs. And you could feed a family of five for 25 bucks. And it was, you know, it was chicken fingers. It was, you know, those ridiculous rolls that are incredibly addictive. <laughs> and on and on, you know, uh, and, and so on. And. Uh, it it just made perfect sense to Kent because he didn't have an ego so big that he had to be right about everything. And, and people love to work for leaders that ask for help. And boy, when you come to a crisis, if you're not asking for help, you're a knucklehead because your people on the ground, the people that are working every day, they know more about what's going on than you could ever. So, you know, put your ego aside inform your people as best you can and ask for help. Kent was great about that. You know, he'd say help. Now, last thing, and then we can maybe move on to another case study. If you haven't picked up on it, Texas Roadhouse, amazing. Go eat there, buy the book, <laughs> right? Um, is that Kent was always good about developing the next level leader. You know, the people that run his restaurants are people that worked in their restaurants when they were in college. 
you know, they, they were behind the bar. They knew the business inside and out. And he made sure they did. So that, you know, in his tragic passing, uh, Jerry Morgan, who's now the, you know, CEO and president of Texas Roadhouse, he's Kent Taylor 2.0. I mean, you know, and again, he could go into a restaurant and he could bust a table that fast. And when he's talking to his people, he knows exactly how hard. Restaurant business is hard. You know, real estate, it's hard. You know, real estate, you eat what you kill, you know, and and he he always appreciated that. And so his first priority was what's good for the roadies, because if it's good for the roadies, it's going to be good for our customers. It's going to be good for the community. They had their priorities straight. So anyway, that's my sermon and I'm sticking to it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen, my friend. That was beautiful. You know, I think that high performers, we bump up against failure constantly. And because we have a big vision and we're, we're looking to do big things and we have this belief that anything is possible, you know, sometimes bumping up on failure, you just start to start feel, you know, a little anxious and it just, it is a function of that world. And so it feels like leading with this type of service and leading with gratitude is almost our duty to humanity. And it also helps us build high performing teams, which is what is required to win, especially in real estate, because it's a team sport. You can't do it. You can't go it alone. If you try to go it alone, you're going to find out pretty quickly that that just doesn't work. So that's why I think it's so powerful for us to be speaking in this way. But do you agree that it's almost, it feels like our service to humanity is like, this is a requirement. It's our duty to do so, to lead other people and to help people kind of work through some of this anxiety and really understand that, you know what, you're not alone here. We all have some of this inner dialogue that may be holding us back, but that's not you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, you know, Tyler, what you just said is one of my favorite leadership mantras. And that is to let your people know that they are not alone. You know, anxiety, when people get really anxious and, and you know, it can even evolve into depression. What do they do? They pull back. They pull back. High achievers pull back because you've always been the one with the answers. You know, I, I, I Adrian Gostick, my co-author and I, we, we do a lot of executive coaching now. And it's so interesting because you talk about service. You go, oh, I love being of service. I say, yeah, that's great. And when you're of service, how does that make you feel? I say, oh, I feel great. You know, helping people out. You know, I'm, I'm so blessed. You know, I'm, I'm so successful. I have so many resources. I feel it's my duty to give back. I say, great. I say, now, when, um, when was the last time you asked for help? And they go, oh, I, you know, I'm so blessed. I'm so gifted. I'm so, <laughs> you know, they go on and on. I go, so you never ask for help. They go, well, well, no, but, but you love to give. And when you give, it makes you feel great. It's a great, why would you deny somebody the opportunity to serve you and feel great? And then there's this pause when they go, ah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> what a great because, question. Yeah, because you know, this whole idea of being of service and let people serve you. You know, we always say, oh yeah, I'll be of service. Do I, do I ask for help? It's such an important point, uh, important part of the ecosystem and, and, and the human ecosystem. One of my mentors who's changed my life dramatically is a gentleman named Marshall Goldsmith. And I don't know if it's a name that you're familiar with. He's a wonderful executive coach. And he's going to be on the podcast here in the next couple of weeks. So I'm very oh, excited about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you, you tell him that, uh, that, that Chester said that you changed his life. I will. And, and knowing Marshall, he'll say, Oh, absolutely. I did. <laughs> so, uh, um, he, he, we had a moment, he was mentoring me on some stuff and, uh, 
I, I didn't know him very well at all. He'd invited me to a book launch. I think it was uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, probably his best-selling book. It was a thing in New York, and I live across the river in New Jersey. And um, I said, hey, Marshall, uh, Adrian and I have this little book coming out called, uh, you know, the, the Daily Carrot. It was, you know, a daily dose of, like, just goodness, right? Would you uh, endorse it for us? And he goes, absolutely, be happy to. And here's, you know, Sarah, my assistant, talk to her. She makes sure everything gets done. And then I said, you know, Marshall, I'm, I'm curious. You don't really know me at all. And I asked you for a fairly big favor, endorse my book. And you said yes immediately. Why? And he said, so glad you asked, Chester. I'm convinced the world is filled with two different kinds of people. Uh, those kind of people that compete with everybody and those that want to help elevate everybody. And he said, I am of the latter and it's a better way to live. Oh and my goodness. I know you're going to listen. You're going to love your time with Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, you, you will come away a better person and he will coach you up. So brace yourself. because <laughs> He is, he is uh, if nothing straightforward. And, and the thing I, I love about that is at that moment when he was coaching me up, I was the guy that competed with everybody in the room. And, you know, when you're in real estate sales, you always want to be the top of the leaderboard and on and on and on, right? Who got the most commissions? Who had the most profit? Who's, you know, driving the nicest car? Whatever it might be. And Marshall said, you can get all that if you elevate everybody around you. And it was a, it was a turning point. And Marshall, I don't think, has ever said no to endorsing somebody's book. I don't think he ever has. You know, whether it's somebody he just met or somebody he's known for, for 30 years. Why? Because he said... What, what does it cost me? Nothing. If it helps them sell a few more books and, 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 you know, and, and bring their business a little bit, why wouldn't I do that? I thought that is so wise and it's so simple, right? That is so good. Yeah. And man, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing the name of our podcast here, Elevate, right? Exactly. That, that's, oh, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And you know what it is, in my opinion, it's the abundance mindset because it's right. not a win lose game. You know, I think historically most people have thought, especially in real estate where it feels like this zero sum game. I'm, if I'm going to win, you must lose, right? If I'm right. negotiating a deal with you, if I win, you lose, or if you lose, you know, if I lose, you win. And what I think has been a big seismic seismic shift in our world is that more people are embodying this abundance mindset that says, look, we can all win. You know, win, win, win situations can be how we apply our business. And, and it feels like that's what leading with gratitude is all about, because you can either, you know, whip the, you know, whip your people and sort of get them into shape and, you know, lead with fear, or you can lead with this gratitude that's pulling people instead of pushing them. And it almost feels like in the long term, you're going to see tremendous exponential difference in terms of your results. Right. You know, in sales, in, in life, in relationships, you know, we've all got this inner voice. And it's so interesting that often our inner voice is our harshest critic. And that's a shame. You know, and so when I'm coaching uh, different executives, they'll beat themselves up all the time. Oh, I made that mistake again. And I say, great, what is your inner voice telling you? Say, like, oh, my inner voice is saying, you knew better. You know, why are you such a knucklehead? Can't believe you were so stupid. This is gonna set you back, you know, months, if not years, whatever. I say, great. What would your best friend tell you in that same situation? Say, well, my best friend would probably say, 
you know, I think you're blowing this out of proportion. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it really wasn't that big a deal. You've made bigger mistakes than that and recovered. And isn't there some education? Like, what did you learn from that mistake? Right. It's a, it's a a learning and a teaching uh, moment. And by the way, don't put yourself down. Never forget. I have a, a friend I was going through a particularly tough time and he said, I want you to stop for just a minute. I want you to pull out a piece of paper and I want you to write this down and I don't want you to ever forget it. He said, what is it? He says, you are Chester effing Elton. (laughs) (laughs) And don't you ever forget it. Right. And I thought, and I did, and I put it in my wallet. It was, it was great. You know, they would build you up. Right. So here's the challenge for uh, our listeners today. Make that inner voice, your best friend. What would your best friend say to you? And if you can get to the point where your inner voice is your best friend, boy, you let go of a lot of baggage because you know what it allows you to do? It allows you to forgive yourself. And forgiveness is a big part of success. You know, when we hold on to those mistakes, when we hold on to those those bad times and we don't forgive ourselves, isn't it interesting? And I'm sure you, you know this, Tyler. It's so much easier to forgive other people than it is to forgive ourselves. Yep. Look, not a big deal. Don't even give it a second thought. Uh, I've forgotten about it already. Let's move on. You make a mistake and you go, oh man, you will hold on to that. You will grip it like in a vice, right? <laughs> you know, make that inner voice your best friend and it allows you to forgive yourself. And boy, that that burden comes off you and frees you up to move forward. I want to give you a great case study for this and you're going to love it. And I know you're recording the video here, so I've got a visual for this. I'm going to ask you the skill testing question here. You're going to know this, Tyler. I know you've got a can of this somewhere in your house, right? I think everybody's got some WD-40 in their house, right? Everybody's. What does WD-40 stand for? Oh, my gosh. That's a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, I have no clue. <laughs> everybody's got a can. Nobody knows what it stands for. It, it stands for water displacement 40th formula. Okay. Now... Gary, uh, uh, Gary uh, Ridge, who's the recently retired CEO, delightful Aussie living in San Diego, has become a very dear friend of mine. The 40 is the 40th formula. You go to their headquarters in San Diego. They they talk about a tribal culture and they, their headquarters is a teepee. Well, they call it the teepee. It's not a teepee. Anyway, on the stairs up to the second floor is every formula that didn't work. And their mantra is... We don't make mistakes. We have learning moments. So he says, did we make 39 mistakes to get to that 40th formula? He says, I I would say no. We had 39 learning moments to get to that magical 40th formula that, by the way, has created a company that is, you know, most people think it's got to be part of like a multinational bunch of products. WD-40 is WD-40. And their stock is so high, no one could ever afford to buy them. Right? <laughs> uh, and they're they're a small group. They're like 500 employees, and their market cap is like 3.3 billion or something ridiculous. I mean, they, they they've got you know profit ratios that, like tech companies. And he says, "How do we do it?" He says, "We celebrate our failures. We lift each other up. Everybody knows that it's okay to make a mistake. And we ask ourselves, okay, didn't work. What did we learn? What did we learn?" And boy, that is a really safe uh, environment to innovate because, you know, you can try something and be wrong and that's okay. Now, if you're making the same mistake, you know, 15 times in a row, that's a different conversation, right? So I love this idea of forgiving yourself, giving yourself permission to fail and move on. Because one of the other um, 
chapters in our book is around perfectionism. And this is a real problem, especially for millennials and Gen Z, that everything has to be perfect because of this digital life that we lead. You know, when does anybody ever post anything on Instagram or, or, or TikTok or Facebook, whatever it is, that doesn't show you being the most amazing person ever, right? Your, your vacations are ridiculous. You know, you speak five <laughs> languages. Everybody that you're photographed with is, looks like you should be on the cover of GQ, you know? <laughs> and, and right, we, we don't post, by the way, I did the dumbest thing at work today. You're not going to believe how stupid I was. <laughs> Nobody does that. Right. So the pressure to be perfect is ridiculous. Perfectionism is a real problem particularly in the earlier generations, because I'll look at a project and if I don't think I can be perfect, I might not even start. So again, as leaders, tamp down that expectation and say, look, here's what I need. And sometimes good is good enough. Sometimes barely adequate is good enough. I just need to know one piece of information, right? I just need one sheet with five bullet points. I don't need a 65 slide PowerPoint with animation, embedded video, and theme music. I just don't. I need to know these five things, right? And again, that comes back to communication. Because if I don't get the right feedback, if I don't get or what Marshall Goldsmith calls feed forward, because feedback is, that's in the past. I'm going to talk about the future. If you don't tell me what you need and when you need it and the level of detail, I'm going to keep going at it again and again and again until you tell me to stop. So again, tamp down that anxiety base saying, this is what I need. This is when I need it. And this is the level that I need it. Don't get crazy on me and check back and check back. And boy, it moves things much faster. And it takes you 10 seconds to give that additional piece of information that says, oh, okay. You just need me to text you the time and place. <laughs> Great. I can do that. Right. Elevate Nation, you know you can't manage what you don't measure. So when it comes to marketing and sales, how can you be sure your decisions are the right ones? I've got the answer for you, Sharp Wilkinson. Sharp Wilkinson is a unique agency that specializes in developing data-driven marketing and sales strategies for clients. I've been working with Sharp Wilkinson for a while now, and I can personally attest to the way that they immerse themselves in my organization and maintain a hyper-responsive orientation. Best of all, they use data to inform their strategies and drive real tangible growth. And every company needs continuing growth, right? If you think your organization could benefit from data-driven marketing and sales, growth starts at Sharp Wilkinson. Visit sharpwilkinson.com to take the first step on your journey. Tell them Tyler sent you. One of our big mantras in our company is version one is better than version none. And it it's fighting this perfectionism because a lot of times we think, well, if we're going to do it, we need to do it, you know, extraordinarily right. And we've got to do it the best of the best. And we've got to be the best of the best. And I think that this part of the conversation is really resonating with our listeners because you know, as with an identity of a high performer, this is one of the big things that we have to fight against is this notion of perfectionism. And it almost feels like as well, that, you know, to be a great leader, we've really got to work on ourselves, we've really got to get clear on what is this inner dialogue saying? Is it saying things like, hey, you know, you did this wrong, and I can't believe you screwed that up, like you're being really hard on yourself. You know, this was a realization that I just came up with re recently about myself. And it was through going through marriage therapy with my wife and, you know, helping sort of build an optimal uh, culture within our family. 
learning that perhaps I've got this little inner critic that's pretty strong that's saying, yeah. you know, it's interesting because like when you do a podcast or when you write books, you know, like you do, I'm sure you look back and you say, oh gosh, I, I missed this. And why didn't I put that into the, you know, into this chapter? You know, I listened back to some of these podcasts. I'm like, hello, were you listening? Like, what are you doing? And, you know, beat myself up when my best friend would say, yeah, but you know, you're doing so great, you know, to your point. And it just feels like if we can start there and if we can really continue to work on ourselves, that's why I think personal development is so important in terms of business growth and, you know, creating extraordinary results. It's like, we've got to look within and then we've got to share that with other people. We've got to lead them to the place where they can also look within. Does that make sense? Or is that kind of, you feel like I'm on the right path there? Oh, absolutely. And and here's how you do that, which is really interesting, is you need to be not just sympathetic. Sympathetic is, uh, isn't that terrible what happened to you? Bummer, dude. You know, that's sympathy, right? <laughs> Empathy is, I have felt like that before. And I maybe haven't felt exactly like you feel right now, where I'm not going exactly what you went through. I have felt that way before. And here's how we deal with it. You need to be a little vulnerable. I'll um, I'll give you a, a great, uh, this happened in our, our our podcast, actually, where we were talking to this leader. He said, you, you need to model the right behavior. Like, you know, all leaders will say, look, when you take time off, I want you to take time off. Go rejuvenate, be with your family. Don't even think about work. We got it covered. Well, we got your back. He said, so here's the example of two leaders who said that. The first leader then goes on vacation. And his out-of-office reads like this. I'm on vacation with my family. Now, if it's really important, you need to get a hold of me. Here's my email and here's my cell phone. Feel free to reach out to me. I'm available. Right? The same leader that said, by the way, when you go away, don't worry about work. The second leader, his out-of-office read like this. I'm on vacation with my family. Now, if it's really important and you need to get a hold of me, this is my wife's cell phone number. Give her a call. If you can convince her that we should interrupt our vacation for your problem, I'll take your call. Said, it's amazing. Nobody called. Wow. <laughs> so a little bit of humor. The fact is, is that he modeled the right behavior. Um, there's nothing speaks to mental health in the workplace and dealing with anxiety than the leader that says, pulls his team in and says, you know what? I'm overwhelmed. I need a mental health day. And I'm going to take time off to do that. Now, I want to tell you that because I want you to know that if you get overwhelmed like I am now and you need a break, don't worry about it. We won't judge you. We're not going to put you in a box. Um, because if you broke your leg, we would say, well, first off, you're too old to be skateboarding at your age, right? That's <laughs> the first thing we say. Secondly, we say, look, go go to the doctor, get that taken care of, do the PT. We got you covered. Broken leg is easy. We see it. Somehow when it's mental health, we go, ah, oh, so Tyler can't take the pressure, right? You got to equalize that and you got to normalize the conversation, destigmatize it. And then that empathy piece, if you can, and not everybody can, make yourself vulnerable and say, you know what? I remember selling real estate when I was your age. I remember wanting to close every deal, getting overwhelmed, worrying about this and worrying about that. You know what I want you to do? I want you to turn off your computer. I want you to put your you know, phone on silent. And I want you to go home and have a good meal, watch a stupid movie, and come back tomorrow. Take some time off. And, and when you can say, that's what I do to get back on track. I'm giving you permission to do the same. Boy, that you know, anxiety goes way down. Is that seriously? 
Now, one last story. We did some interesting work with a, a leadership group in the Pacific Northwest. Big, big tech company, right? Sales, sales division, billions of dollars. Now, the leader of the group is this phenomenal woman. And I'm 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 telling you, Tyler, like always dressed like just perfectly, not extravagant, just you know, just nice, like the calmest voice. I would laugh with her her direct reports, I'd say, if you've got an upset customer, do you have her talk to us? Goes, Absolutely. <laughs> her voice, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the calm app, right? It's good. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and everything, you know, we'd zoom in and the background in her house is like something out of, you know, it's, everything. You look at it and say, perfect life. Well, as we were doing what we wanted to teach their leadership group, I said, can I put this, it was all about gratitude and culture. So can I put this little thing in about anxiety? Because I think it's really important. It's a bigger issue that people are kind of willing to admit. She goes, I don't think so. I, I think I want to keep it really positive. And her people said, you know what? Let them take 10 minutes out of an hour, hour and a half. I forget how long we had. Let them take 10 minutes and just talk, just put it out there. Well, when we did the debrief, the thing that they remembered the most was that 10 minutes on mental health. Because they were all struggling with, I mean, crushing quotas and everything. And she goes, isn't that interesting? Well, you know what? Let's take a deeper dive with that. So we did a couple of virtual sessions with bigger groups. That group was like 20 people. It was like 300, 500, 700 people online. And she told her story. And she said, you know, I know that I have this image of being together in heaven. She goes, I get the Sunday night scaries. And around five o'clock, my stomach starts to churn. Now, <laughs> I've got to go in. I've got to defend our numbers. She said, in fact, my sister-in-law lives only a few blocks away and she suffers from this. Sunday. And we found there's a whole group. So you know what we do? Sundays, we have potluck dinner at my house and everybody brings and we boy each other up and we say, you're not alone. I got you back. It's not going to be that bad. Her saying that, you should have seen the comments so brave thank you so much everybody thinks you're perfect if if you're scared of course we're scared <laughs> right she said it's one of the best uh like i said uh opportunities we had to really invest in leadership let people know it's okay that even the most together best dressed you know successful people you know they're just like you they've had this years. and when they admit it i'm telling you tyler this Everybody takes a deep breath. We're all kind of playing with the same deck. We're all suffering from the same things. And isn't it great that we can move together? It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to take time off. I'm here for you. And as you said so beautifully before, you're not alone. And put on top of that, your best friend is your inner voice. You're going to have a much better life, I promise. What a great invitation for the listeners to just recognize that, hey, we're all in this together and we all have similar inner dialogue that, you know, you're not broken, you know, because right. you've got this harsh inner critic that's saying all these things about how you screwed up. And, you know, that's not you as well. I mean, I think that's another piece is that we can separate ourselves our identity, truly who we are from that inner dialogue, you know, because it's a gremlin that could be holding us back. And, you know, you're proving an, an, an amazing, um, you know, example here because a baby boomer is even modeling the fact that you can have empathy for other people and you don't have to just tough it out here. And uh, even if you want to be, you know, I think it's important to embody the things of resilience and grit and persistence and all those kind of things and continue to move forward. But 
it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, sometimes you can dial it back and take a little recovery to continue forward. So this has been such a great conversation, Chester. I really, really appreciate you. Before I let you go, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. I think some of this, uh, you know, looking within, unfortunately today is a little bit rare, but we're making it a little bit less rare. So I want to talk to you about a few things. I'd love to ask you, being a prolific author yourself, I would imagine you're a big reader. So tell me, what are two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years and why? I, I, I can't believe you asked that question. I, I've started this little thing on um, on LinkedIn. I, I, by the way, I have a gratitude journal on LinkedIn. We publish every two weeks. It's free and we've got you know almost 300,000 subscribers, a little positivity every other week. And I've started this little book club. I've only done it like three times. And it's really interesting. A book that I, I I just recommended that I went back to read. Do, do you know the author Clay Christensen? Does that ring a bell? I don't know. Treat yourself. He wrote a wonderful book called The Innovator's Dilemma. That was his biggest book. He was a, a professor at the Harvard School of Business. He he's written a wonderful book. He's he's since passed away, uh, unfortunately, uh, from cancer, rare disease. Anyway, he wrote a book. How do you how will you measure your life? It was the last. Uh, lesson he would teach at Harvard every year. And he would say, look, you're going to graduate from the Harvard School of Business. It's one of the best credentials you can have in business. And he said, the thing is, is what are you going to do with that? You know, how are you going to put yourself in a place where the work you do is the work you love and it's meaningful? How are you going to develop deep and meaningful relationships along the way? And then the third one is my favorite, and it is, and how are you going to stay out of jail? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, all these ridiculously you know, successful people have one thing in common uh, often, and that is they go to jail. And the, the, the last chapter is one of my favorites. He says, the, the thing that you've got to be aware of as a high achiever is this life of integrity. And he was a big about, you know, what are the parameters? What are the things that are non-negotiable? And he said, beware of the expression, just this once. Just this once. I, I know you wouldn't normally do this. It, do it for me just this once. He says, that's the slippery slope. Because if you do it once, the odds of you doing it again go way up and again and again. One of the graduating uh, guys in his class at the Harvard School of Business was the head of Enron. And he said he didn't graduate from the Harvard School of Business thinking that he would be one of the most notorious white collar criminals of all time. Right. He would have never thought that he would compromise his values to the point where he would bankrupt millions of people's retirement funds and so on. And, you know, it started with just this once. We'll, we'll cover this up just this once and then we'll get back on track. And in real estate, isn't it so easy to do that? Well, we won't do the inspection just this once. Just this once. It looks like a good house. I mean, look at it. People have been there for 30 years. Or you know what? We'll 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 hedge on the deposit just this once. Don't. That's the slippery slope. So if you want to read a great book, and it's been out for a while, is Clayton Christians uh, Clayton Christensen's book, How Will You Measure Your Life? And it's a short book, by the way. And the audio book is only five hours long, which for audio books is, is short. So <laughs> thanks for asking, because I'm rereading it right now. And I'm telling you, it's such a great reminder of how to live a good life. Now, the other book, if I can give you one more. Please. And that is The Good Life. And I'm looking on my shelf to see if I can find, ah, there it is right there. 
This I'll give you a visual of because the, the other book I've actually got next to my bed. And this is The Good Life by Robert Waldinger. Now, Robert is at the Harvard School as well. This is the longest study on human development ever conducted. Do you know this book? No, I don't know this book. Oh, listen, you're going to love this. And the audio book <laughs> is great because Robert, um, he reads it. And uh, he's, he's a part of Marshall Goldsmith Hunters Coaches as well. Um, he says they've got 80, 80 plus years of following these 600 young men from the Boston area, from Harvard School and the poorest neighborhood. And he says, what, what is the secret to a long, happy and healthy life? And he said, it's really interesting. We surveyed millennials and we said, what would lead to a long, happy and healthy life? Number one answer was if I was rich. Number two answer is if I were famous. If I were rich and famous, I'm going to have a long, happy and healthy life. He says, they couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. The key to a long, happy and healthy life isn't good genes. It's not even a good diet or a good exercise regimen right? Which we always default to. If I could just lose another 10 pounds, right? That's where I am right now, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> um, he said, the secret to a long, happy and healthy life, hundreds of thousands of data points, over 80 years of studying the human condition, boils down to this, deep and meaningful relationships. Good for you for going to you know counseling. Uh, people that are married are, live longer and are healthier. People that are part of a religion, uh, a community, uh, it's really interesting. And he said, by the way, it doesn't matter which church you go to, just go to church. <laughs> it's not like Baptists are happier than Hindus or Muslims. It's because you've got a community. And he said, more and more, we, we, we're regressing into a digital life where we don't, there are fewer bowling leagues and softball leagues and, you know, Knights of Columbus and Masons. And so he says, those are important parts of a long, happy and healthy life. Now to your community, I'm sure that you have sold homes and, and had renters come in where you've developed a relationship with that buyer that's lasted decades, right? Because you are of service, right? Because you help them along the way. And it comes back to my favorite mantra is that you were kind when they needed somebody to be kind. You were grateful for, you know, for what you had for, and not jealous of what you didn't have. You elevated people around you. See what I did there? I do. And, yeah. And then thirdly, you were of service. He said, people that are of service, that give, are happier. Deep and meaningful relationships. So I know we've gone over time. This is the last thing I want to share with you. And that is, all these principles are great for building a great business. No question about it. It will make you a better leader. You will be more productive. All the evidence is there to, to prove it out. And lower anxiety and better mental health. Here's my last comment. Do not forget to take it home. These principles don't just make for a better business, they make for a better life. When you are grateful and kind to the people around you, when you are of service, when you are vulnerable, when you share your story, when you set the example, when you don't compromise your life of integrity, of integrity, trust me, not only are you going to do better in business, of course you will. And by the way, and even if you don't, your life is just better. You will be happier. You'll be healthier. You will love deeper. You will be loved deeper. And it's just a great way to live. Chester, you are absolutely over delivering today. And I have to say <laughs> that we are tremendously lucky to be a part of this conversation. So I just want to thank you. And before I let you go, I still got a couple of questions for you. By sure. the way, we will put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find both of those books that you just shared with us. I can't wait to pick them up myself. And 
We'll put a link in the show notes as where the listeners can find all of your books as well, uh, because you've got some tremendous, tremendous work out there, as the listeners can tell, you know, from being a part of this conversation. But before I let you go, two final questions. What's the sure. biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, aside from maybe anything that we've talked about today thus far? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in a very spiritual family, and I'm a big fan of uh, traditions and rituals. And so, you know, not only do I like to start my day with uh, my mantra, I, I start with prayer. I like to read scriptures, listen to good sermons, you know, and start my day. I love to go for a walk in the morning. You know, the Japanese have this tradition they call forest bathing, to get out in nature and just, you know, let the listen to the birds singing, you know, look at the leaves on the trees and the flowers that are growing. I, I'm a big fan of connecting with the divine. And I know that, you know, like church attendance and stuff like that is down. And I, I get that. I still believe that we are all spiritual, that we feel like there's there's something out there that's bigger than ourselves. Never miss the chance to connect to that, whether it's through meditation or communing with nature or just, uh, just going for a walk. So for me, if I can get those things done, if I can go for a good walk, if I can make sure I say my prayers and read my scriptures and, and get out there in nature... That, that sets me up for a really good day. I love that. And it sounds like a very similar morning that I had uh, this morning, actually, you know, walking the dog with the sun coming up over the horizon. That was a, a beautiful way to start the day and a great way to remember how grateful we are for so many things around us. And even if our mind was to focus on the negative, because that's some, sometimes <laughs> how we're a little bit wired and we focus on the negative, let's fix the problem. But man, there's so much around us to be grateful for. And what a great routine and ritual to put you in that state. But what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Chester? That's going to be a hard one for you to answer, I feel like. Uh, actually, you know, it's, it's funny. I've started this really interesting little tradition. A, a dear friend of mine, who was also my cousin, we went through school together and, and he had a stroke. I just out of the blue, and I thought, this is one of the most active guys I know. And you know, I've got less in front of me than I do behind me at this point in my life. And so it's kind of a wake up call when your your peers are having strokes, right? Right. So you know, everybody rallied, and um, I said to him, I said, you know, uh, buddy, I know that when this happens, everybody rallies for two or three weeks, and, and then they get back to their lives. And I don't want you to think you're forgotten. So would you mind if I just texted you a little positive note every day? And he said, oh, I'd love these because I love quotes, you know, and and, and I, 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 I'm guessing you're in sales. You love a good quote, too. Right. And one, of my, one of my favorites that I texted to him, I said, you know, uh, from the great American philosopher, Mike Tyson, who said <laughs> all the strategy goes out the window when somebody punches you in the face, you know. Right. And, and so and so he really liked it. Well, then I would share that with some other friends. Well, now you're going to think this is goofy, but. Tyler, at my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. I tried waking up earlier. It didn't work for me. 6 a.m. is good for me. I text a little positive message to 45 people on my list. And some of that I coach, some people that I know, some people that go to my church, some people that I'm mentoring or whatever. And boy, that is a great way to just, because they all respond, whether it's a little thumbs up or a little quote, man, I really needed that today. The other thing that I love to do is I carry with me, oh, and I have one here. I fill my pocket with these little gratitude stones. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, I can see that. Gratitude. And I randomly give them out to strangers. One of my goals every day is to uplift a stranger. So whether it's the crossing guard 
or the police guys that I, I'm a big hockey fan, a big devils fan. We had a great year this year, by the way. And I just say, Hey, I know that in your job, you don't get a lot of positive affirmations. I just want to let you know, I come to a lot of games. You make sure I cross this busy street safe. Every time I got a little gift for you, a little gratitude stone. I gave one to the conductor at the New Jersey transit the other day. The guy goes, nobody ever gives us anything but grief. <laughs> right. And I'll bet I'll, over the last uh, year and a half or so, I've probably given away like 600 of these. And it's if, if you have a little ritual, maybe it's just to make somebody smile, you know, uh, give them a little random. I'm a big fan of random acts of kindness. So, um, you know, through my little texts and my little gratitude stones, those are two ways that I just love to make somebody smile. It's great. Chester, you are such a positive guy, man. I just want to acknowledge you for leading this life of example and continuing to invest in other people and showing us really what the abundance mindset is all about. And, you know, I think Zig Ziglar, you're talking about quotes. Zig Ziglar said something along the lines of anything that you want in your life, go out and help enough people get what they want in their life. And that's how you're going to get there. And, you know, I, you just live this example and you exude this positivity and empathy and recognition that, you know what, we're all going through something similar. We're all going through our own challenge, you know, anybody that you see on the street, whether they're working at the transit or, you know, whether they're an executive in the building down the street from you, we're all going through challenges. And, you know, the example that you have set is that leaders, we've got to look within, we've got to share that with other people and we've got to live with gratitude and, and abundance. So I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you like to share with Elevate Nation? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, thank you for that wonderful summation and those many, many compliments. Uh, I just want to share with your listeners that, by the way, I've had rough spots, really rough spots, you know, and, and, and those moments where you curl up in the fetal position and wonder if you're, if you're going to make it through the day. And I am so lucky that I have people in my life that I can ask for help. So, you know, I, I love being on podcasts and I love sharing with all this positive stuff that we do. And, and I really do have a ridiculously happy life. I do. And yet there have been those moments and I am blessed as my father was with an amazing companion. You know, my wife, Heidi, is my bedrock, my North Star. And I know that I can share with her anything. I've got four older brothers that are my best friends. I have Marshall Goldsmith in my life who called me one time during the, the toughest part and gave me some of the best advice ever. And it was to forgive someone who had wronged me. And then lastly, to forgive myself. And it was great. So yeah, be happy, be out there, and then understand that there's going to be those moments where you're not the happiest guy in the room, where you're going to break down and have somebody that you can reach out to. I reached out to a dear friend of mine who's one of the greatest executives I've ever known. We've become dear, dear friends. And he's moved away and we, we, we don't talk as often. And I had one of those moments. I said, you know what, Scott, text me something and tell me I'm great. I'm having a rough day. <laughs> you know, and he was, he says, I love that you asked for this. We never ask for help. You and I, we never ask for help. And he goes, not only are you great, not only are you, you are Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so... Just that parting thing is, yeah, be the best version of yourself, help people out, you know, do those little rituals that, that buoy yourself up. And then when you hit rock bottom and you will, because we always do, don't be afraid to reach out for help. It'll be one of the greatest experiences of your life. Chester, this has been 
life-changing, game-changing. I could go on and on. I mean, we could speak for hours and hours on end, so maybe let's do this another time. But I just <laughs> want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Tell the listeners the best places where they can find you and learn more about you. You bet. LinkedIn, always a good place. You know, sign up for our Gratitude Journal, our podcast, Anxiety at Work. And our, our website is thecultureworks.com. All kinds of great stuff there about our books and our training and our executive coaching. And uh, by the way, Tyler, this has been beyond delightful to spend time with you. If uh, you want to do this again, not a problem. Give me a call. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll, we'll see if I survive the conversation with Marshall Goldsmith and then, uh, then we'll revisit. <laughs> by the way, yeah, a good get for you. He is remarkable in so many ways. Uh, if your listeners are going to bookmark something, bookmark the podcast with Tyler Chesser and Marshall Goldsmith. It'll be the best 45 minutes, 60 minutes of your life, I promise. Oh, you're very, very kind. Chester, Elton, Elevate Nation. Uh, we just received a tremendous gift. So Chester, until next time, appreciate you being on the podcast. Of course, we'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find you and all of your books, by the way, tremendous work. So you definitely want to dive into Chester's work. But Chester, until next time, my friend, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Elevate Nation, Chester Elton, bringing the positivity, the joy, and the strategy for making a shift within your organization, within your team, within yourself, to living this sustainably long-term high-performance type of lifestyle, and also giving yourself the space for grace to recognize that, you know, you're not going to be firing on all cylinders every single day. You know, there are going to be setbacks, or there is going to be times of overwhelm, or perhaps... Uh, failure and setbacks and recognizing that within yourself and within all the other people that you're surrounded with to do the great things that you are committed to doing, you know, we've got to give others some empathy and, you know, some strategy for understanding, well, hey, how are you, how are we doing as an organization? How are we navigating certain challenges? Where are we going? How am I doing? You know, how, how is each individual on your team doing? And then what does your future look like? You know, these are just some examples of this conversation that I think were big distinctions, big takeaways, but I think there's really so many. And I'd love to invite you to jot down your top one, two, or three key distinctions or takeaways or ahas from this conversation. Because, you know, I, I always invite listeners to just take one thing away. But if you've got two or three, then jot those down. The best way to capture information and put it into action is to first reflect upon what was it that really stood out to you? What most resonated with you where you are today? You may re revisit this conversation down the line. And by the way, I think repetition is the mother of all skills. So re-listening, sometimes you're going to find out things that maybe you weren't even aware of the first time. And I think that's tremendously valuable, but it also can hammer home some of the concepts that you know, you really found to be breakthrough type of opportunities for you. So I want to encourage you to do that and re-listen. But when you jot down those distinctions, it gives you now the opportunity to take action. And taking action is really the best way to solidify growth, to, to solidify change, to solidify progress. And it's not about perfection. There is no finish line and there is no such thing as perfection. None of us are perfect. And so giving ourselves and others around us the grace to recognize that you know progress is really what we're into and you know failure is only a setback 
and it's feedback or feed forward for your next growth opportunity. So I just want to thank Chester for bringing so much value to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to have a discussion with a friend about what you learned today. Also, of course, share it and pay it forward and uh, recognize that the abundance mindset, the abundance mentality is really what it's all about and what it's going to give you the opportunity to win greater in your future. So I just want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Until next time, Elevate Nation, I hope you have a great day and don't forget to go elevate others around you. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.